Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. You know, I've made a lot of noise on this podcast about a Thanksgiving tradition uh, to the point where people were uh, tweeting at me about it, the Thanksgiving leftover sandwich mm-hmm. involving uh, turkey, turkey skin, stuffing. You leave the turkey cold, you warm up the stuffing, Yum. put it on toast, schmear of mayonnaise, and you sit back and just let it wash over you. Great use of schmear. Thank you. I regret to inform everybody that I did not have the leftover sandwich this year. <gasps> Who hurt we, you? Well, it was my aunt. Um, so she, this is her last time holding Thanksgiving. She usually cooks for everybody, but she decided that she is sort of bitter about the fact that no one ever invites her to other Thanksgivings mm. because they just assume that she's going to have it. Sure. So I have to imagine that it was some sort of bitter protest that she decided not to cook a whole turkey this year, but just tur- cook a turkey breast. So when it came to the annual tradition of the collecting of the leftovers in giant Ziploc bags, my sister informed me, well, you can't take any turkey with you because there is none turkey left. And I, 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 I like looked at the, the heavens and I'm like, no! And little did she know this would result in getting shamed on ESPN on ice. You're damn right. And so my sister's like, do you want to take some ham home? I'm like, do you not understand a damn thing about the sandwich <laughs> and, the, and, and the mechanics that go into it? Ham does not blend with the stuffing. Ham does not work as wonderful with the toast. None of it. Turkey. That's it. So if any of you are listening to this podcast roughly a week after Thanksgiving and have some leftover turkey and want to donate it to me, please send it to Greg Wyshynski, <laughs> Bristol, Connecticut, P.O. Box, whatever. Just write. I imagine it's like Santa. If you just put Greg Wyshynski, ESPN, Bristol, Connecticut, it'll find me. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to take your leftover turkey at this point. That's how desperate I am. It's going to sound taste so delicious by the time it actually gets to your kitchen. Dang right. All right. Coming up on ESPN Ice today, we have many things to say about the firing of Ron Hextall by the Philadelphia Flyers. We're going to do a lot of that and much more NHL news with Frank Saravelli from TSN. And we speak with Jeff Skinner, having an incredible career-making year with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, who they themselves are having an incredible year. So we'll talk to uh, Skinner about that. All that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. <laughs> hey there. Welcome to ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. Uh, I should mention the best player in the world of the week this week uh, just went up on ESPN is Patrick Laine. Moi moi. Patrick Laine, um, for those who don't know, had quite the goal scoring explosion in the past week. Uh, he scored as many goals in... Uh, what was it? Three or th- four games, I think it was, as Jonathan Taves has this entire season. Yikes. Which is pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. But they're both not doing pretty the good. Not doing pretty good. Ron Hextall. He got fired by the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll talk to Sarah Bailey about a lot of this, but just briefly, in case you didn't see the press conference today involving, uh, Flyers brass. 
including um, GM, uh, well, sorry, <laughs> well, he's a GM for now, President Paul Holmgren and uh, David Scott, the chairman and chief executive officer of Comcast Spectacore. Um Basically, it sounds like your classic case of, I'm Ron Hextall. I have a plan for the meticulous way in which I want to build a Stanley Cup champion for a franchise that has not had one since 1975. I think what I'm doing is good, and I think what I'm doing is right. And I'm not going to listen to anybody else telling me otherwise. And the owners of the Flyers are like, actually, the season ticket holders are pissed, and uh, there's apathy in the fan base, and we'd like to win sooner than that. And Ron Hextall's like, no, my plan. And the owners are like, oh, my God, we have the ability to fire you. So I guess we will. And that, in short form, is what happened in Philadelphia. So much of these things, I, I feel, is perception and spin zone and the way you control your own narrative. And I felt like the Flyers made a huge blunder in the way they rolled this out. The fact that they waited for this press conference a day later and made Dave Haskell Hextall, which, as many Flyers fans have pointed out, his name is so similar to Ron Hextall, maybe they just got it confused. Uh, <laughs> but he's pretty much a lame duck. He's probably the lame ham that was in your Thanksgiving sandwich. Go out and face the media a full day before his big bosses did to explain the move was just really unsavory. And then when you had this press conference, a couple things stood out to me. One, the bringing up of Joel Quenville's name, the fact that yeah. they said they had considered him when he was available and that it didn't work out. But now we'll consider him again, or I guess the new GM will consider him again. But uh, Hextall's status, uh, I guess that's the new GM. It was just a really kind of awkward thing. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that that was the one takeaway I had that just felt like they didn't have an answer for it. What about you? Is there anything that felt unsavory? Well, to your point, look, we got to take these guys at face value, right, I guess. So, like, when Paul Holmgren gets up there and someone's like, Hey, is, does Dave Hackstall's status, did that play into this firing at all? Was, was Ron Hackstall like, I hired this man because he coached my son and I want him to still be the coach to, no matter what you people say. Well then, and Holmgren's like, no, man, it never factored into anything. In fact, uh, Ron Hackstall could, could do whatever he wanted with Hackstall and it would have been fine. And yet at the same time, Paul Holmgren's like, oh yeah, by the way, we're totally about thinking about trying to hire Joel Quenville and firing this guy. Like, where where is the line drawn? Like, where is the autonomy here? Um, it was a very confusing thing. The other thing that really stood out for me is that uh, Dean Lombardi, who is uh, a senior advisor to uh, Ron Hextall, a guy who was his mentor with the L.A. Kings in their front office, uh, basically either he said it or the Flyers decided that uh, he would not be the, be the man for this job. Um, you know, because I guess he has the same philosophies on team building as Ron Hextall does. Maybe the awkwardness of the mentor taking over for the protege, uh, in this gig. But I do find it interesting though, that like when you really think about it, isn't what Dean Lombardi, what he did with the LA Kings, isn't that basically what the Flyers are looking for right now? Like when Dean Lombardi was the GM of the LA Kings, he was meticulous in his patience in trying to make sure that they built up a prospect system, that they had some young players to build around, i.e. Andre Kopitar, i.e. Drew Doughty, and that the time was right to start shipping out some of these assets for better players. So you send out a Jack Johnson and turn him into uh, Jeff Carter, and you ship out a uh, a Wayne Simmons and stuff and bring in a, a Mike Richards, and you start doing these things to bolster your team. I mean, let's note the irony that most of the moves the Kings made were at the Flyers' expense. Um 
but you know, it, it strikes me as ironic that he's not going to get the gig because I feel like ownership feels like the Flyers are in this spot. They've got a lot of really good pieces. They've got some really good good young pieces. They have more young pieces on the way, and Carter Hart and Martin Frost and players like that. So why not start shipping out some of these pieces from the ninth best prospect pipeline, according to our own Chris Peters, and bring in the in their prime veteran players that will turn a pretty good contending if the goaltending is their team into a team that might seriously make some noise and actually get past the first round for the first time since 2012. I wonder how much of this is about the management of Carter Hart. I really do. And I had a chance to meet Carter Hart. Ironically, that story came up the morning Hextall was fired. And it seems like he really wants to be in the NHL right now. He's ready. He just needs more seasoning in the AHL. Uh, A couple more points I'm going to make before we wrap this up. One, I just think it's ironic that if you ask any other team in the league, if they envy the flyer situation, they'll say, yes, they're the model for how to build a prospect system. They're doing it all right. And Mm -hmm. um, this ownership group's like, no, that's not okay. And then the next question is, who is going to replace them? And we put a story up on ESPN.com identifying some of the logical candidates, people we'd like to see. And something I found interesting is when I was asking around about this, uh, the two names that came up for me were Sean Burke, who many believe is a rising star mm-hmm. in the hockey executive ranks, a former goaltender. Mm-hmm. Mike Fuda, the assistant GM of the LA Kings. Uh, I know you had mentioned Zito with uh, Blue Jackets, who's oh, yeah. a guy that's gotten some love. Uh, but two names that also came up, and I didn't feel comfortable putting them in there, but it just shows how hockey people think. You ready for this, uh, Greg? Mm-hmm. Scott Housen, who you might remember as the last GM to be fired in season uh, with the Chicago, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus Blue Jackets, now, now assisting in Edmonton, I believe. Yep, I believe yeah. so. And the other one that just, uh, you're going to love this, is John Ferguson Jr., uh, who had a flame-out GM career with the Toronto Maple Leafs, was much mm-hmm. maligned there. But um, he's done great work, really, with the Providence Bruins and the AHL side and the development uh, for the Boston Bruins now. And I'd be curious yeah. to see if he gets another shot. We'll get into it more with Frank. I do, I do wonder if they're transitioning towards a contention model right now, if they're going to get somebody with a little bit more experience. Chuck Fletcher has been talked about. Ron Francis has been talked about. Although the idea that they're going to bring in Ron Francis for a team that needs to make bold moves in order to contend is <laughs> insane to me. Uh, please note, by the way, that if, uh, you know, for all the talk of, of how the, uh, the, uh, Flyers are looking outside of their own organization and don't, just believe we're hiring ex-Flyers. Uh, Sean Burke did have 15 games with the Flyers in 2003, 2004. Well, didn't every goalie have 15 games with the Flyers at some point? <laughs> he actually also played with them uh, once before in 97, 98 as well, but uh, that's neither here nor there. We'll talk to Frank more about that. A couple other things we got to touch on before we get there, though, because they happened after the uh, last ESPN and Ice dropped early for holiday week. The uh, firing of Mike Yo in St. Louis, replaced by players coach Greg Maruby. Um, which is the thing that t- hockey teams do. They fire the disciplinarian. They bring in the player's coach. H- how do you think, is, is this going to work? Is this going to be the thing that changes, that switches the blues around, or are they just a broken team right now? In the short sample size, I'd have to say no, because one of the biggest issues with Mike Yo, who I just think was the scapegoat in this entire situation, but the players weren't giving a consistent effort. When you watch those games, you felt like there just wasn't that oomph, that, that uh, urgency factor. And I checked in with the Blues and the Craig Berube era, and I'm not just talking about the game where Patrick Liney let them up for five goals. There's still been a lack of consistency and effort, so I'm not quite sure uh, this is the right answer. I think Doug Armstrong is going to have to follow through on one of his threats uh, to blow up the entire roster. Yeah, uh, one and, one, and, one and two right now for Berube with the with the uh, with the Blues, and again the, the situation there. You know, you look at that team, and, and you hate to be right about these things, but once again, the St. Louis Blues, 26th in the league right now in save percentage, 
8.93 would be that save percentage. Uh, no surprise to anybody that of the uh, bottom six teams uh, in the NHL, uh, three of them have gone through major changes, bottom six teams as far as save percentage goes. So that's still the Achilles heel. But again, underachieving team, they're trying to change the tone and tenor. Maybe that's going to be the difference. Um, but it, de- it does seem like there needs to be more, some more deep cutting and, and moving pieces around, which is a disappointment. Again, on paper, I thought the Blues were really good. I thought they had a, a well-conceived team. Uh, but sometimes on paper doesn't always translate to uh, on the ice, and and this is this is not good. The other big change, of course, was Edmonton, the firing of Todd McClellan, the hiring of last resort Ken Hitchcock, Peter Chiarelli saying, you know what, I got one card to play, baby, and it's going to be a big one. Brings in Ken Hitchcock to try to fix things. Already you're seeing the Hitchcock effect in some ways as far as shot suppression and things of that nature. But do you believe that Ken Hitchcock can be the man who turns the Edmonton Oilers around and into a playoff team? Look, he has a history of being able to get a team in order in a short period of time. So this is a definite narrow-minded view by Peter Giarelli. This is a job-saving view, no doubt about it, that he has one more uh, grand move in his pocket before he's axed himself. I think he can get this team to the playoffs this year. I just don't know if it's sustainable, and I just can't. Peel away the irony of, you know, yet another coach at the end of last season saying, look, it's time to hand it over to the younger generation. I'm done. And not more than six months, maybe six months and a couple days into his consulting role gets right back behind the bench. Yeah. And, and again, like, I'm, I, like I wrote about on Friday, like, I'm just quite, I'm not quite sure what the end game is here. Like, what's the mm-hmm. end game? Like, is the end game that they bring in Ken Hitchcock for a season? He, he somehow, you know, patches up all of the boo-boos on defense and makes the goalies worth a damn for a few months and they make the playoffs and they're eliminated in like the first or second round. And then what do you have? You, you have a guy that you don't know is going to coach next year. You have a GM that still has, uh, loomed over a, a team that is deficient in so many areas that you needed, you know, Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction to come in and be the fixer for this team for a few months. Like it's, it's crazy to me that that this is where this team is right now that there's no discernible plan to you know fill out the roster in a in a in a reasonable way to bring in the offensive help that McDavid needs or to rethink rethink the defense or to rethink there's a billion things that this team needs to do and it seems like right now they're just content with putting a band-aid on 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 the oozing gushing gaping wound that is this franchise right now and it's crazy Sure. And I'll just wrap this up quickly. The Blackhawks under Jeremy Colleton. Look, it's been a lot of the same. Uh, they obviously made this trade, so we'll see how it works out. If and We'll talk about that trade later, so I won't get into it here. But um, the roster is broken, and, and it's more of a construction issue than coaching, I think. Uh, and then we have uh, the Kings. And how are things going under Willie Desjardins? Well, it's Tuesday as we're recording this, and my timeline is populated with this bizarre quote from Desjardins uh, justifying the Ilya Kovalchuk on the fourth line experiment. He's pretty much saying when you've always been a top four line guy and suddenly you're on the fourth line, it's going to be hard for him. So it's not fair in some ways, but I'm making him play to his weaknesses, but I'm going to keep him there. So I just don't really know what's going on there, and I don't know if this is the answer. Leading scorer of the LA Kings, Ilya Kovalchuk. I've seen a lot of people asking, like, what is going to happen with Kovalchuk if, you know, the, what's the solution? Where can he go? Where? Here's, I talked to him before this season, and like, I, I, listen, I believe the competitive fire burns in Ilya Kovalchuk. I believe him when he says that he comes back here to try to win a cup, although I can think of maybe like three dozen teams that maybe are a better choice than the LA Kings to that end. But his family's living in Beverly Hills. He's got a full no move. He's always wanted to play in California. Like, if it ain't the Ducks or the Sharks, where is he going? What do you think? He's going, going to Calgary? Ilya Kovalchuk? Okay. Come on. 
So I, I I wonder if now it's a situation where they pitch their wagon to a veteran player that isn't going to uh, acquiesce and allow them to uh, move him. Unless, of course, this is your classic uh, Tampa Bay Lightning freezing out Dan Boyle move of you know draining a guy of his ice time and then trying to find any way, shape, or form to make him so frustrated that he waves his no-move clause. That could also be the solution, too. I could see Willie doing that. All right, we got lots more to talk about with Frank Cyrelli, but before we do that, listen, a lot of new coaches, a couple of new executives. Mm. You know what the one thing they have in common, Emily? They're going to need to look good. They need to look good look when they're apart. on the bench. When they're in practice, you know, they can just wear those windbreakers mm-hmm. and, and that team-administered gear. But when they're on the bench, you got to look good. And if you want to look good, go to Indochino. Uh, they are a company that makes a huge variety of suits with a huge variety of fabrics, colors, patterns. They will make you look stylish. Highest quality, lowest price is the mantra. And it is a unique experience where you get to play the designer. I've done it myself for my wedding, for other stuff. Uh, it's North America's leading made-to-measure menswear company is Indochino. They make suits and shirts to their exact measurements with an unparalleled impra- fit and comfort. Guys love the option to personalize the details, including your lapel, your lining, your pockets, and perhaps even your own monogram, monogram if you want to be fancy. Um, you visit a stylist at their showroom, have them take their measurements, or you can measure at home and shop online at Indochino.com. You choose your fabrics, your customizations, submit your measurements, and then just sit back and watch as the compliments roll in after you get your professionally tailored suit. Uh, it is still Black Friday season meaning that uh, 2018's lowest prices up at 70% off of everything are still in effect. Uh, you got to step out from backstage, make an entrance this December for that New Year's stuff, and make sure you do it with Indochino. This week, listeners to this very podcast can get Black Friday pricing by using the promo code ICE at checkout. That's 70% off the regular price for a made-to-measure suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code ICE, for up to 70% off because, Emily, once you go custom, you don't go rack. I get it. Custom, don't go That's good. That's good. That's really good. All right. So that was a lot of news and stuff. So joining us now to help us sort out some more of it is our good friend Frank Saravelli from TSN. You know him. You love him. You've seen him on the TV. And uh, he used to be a, a writer in Philadelphia, so he's used to this level of dysfunction. Frank, welcome to ESPN and ICE. Hey, what's up? So what was your take when you saw this whole thing go down? I mean, as we've learned more about it, it does seem like a the difference in philosophy that was hinted at in the press release is, in fact, a very big difference in philosophy between a guy who was uh, doing the slow and steady thing as far as building a winner and maybe an ownership group that was tired of taking things this patiently. Yeah, and you know what? My take is that I don't think either side is really... Uh, that unreasonable in their ask. Um, you look at what the Flyers wanted, you know, listening to Paul Holmgren today after the press conference, he was saying, this is year five of the Hextall plan. He said, that's a lot of years in, in hockey years. He said, that's a long time. And they just want to see some progress, some action towards that. Uh, I understand why Ron Hextall stuck to his gun saying, look, this is what I'm building towards. I've been successful up until this point getting something done. And he wanted to kind of stick with that. His stubbornness was his undoing in this case. 
Um, to me, I, I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that you know what he's accumulated and the cap hell that he's gotten this team out of has put them in a really nice position. Unfortunately for Hextall, but for someone to just scoop in and and really slide with you know some really good assets to build around, not to mention some difference makers that have been holdovers from the Holmgren tenure, guys like Giroux and Voracek, second in points last year, Voracek was fourth in assists, and you have two guys who are pretty much locks for 30 goals every year in Van Riemsdyk and Simmons. So there's a lot to build around. Unfortunately, they still don't have a goalie. It's just going to be someone else that's going to be doing the building from here on out. My sense is that this was something that was simmering for a while, not just something that comes off of a 6 nothing loss to the Maple Leafs. For sure. Now, you know Paul Holmgren, you know, you know his tendencies and what he's like. And maybe with your own reporting and reading between the lines of what he said at the press conference, where it seems like he might be willing to make a move himself, uh, especially in goal before they hire a GM. What do you think's next for him? Where do you think he's thinking? Well, I, I think that would be last resort for him. He said over and over again, I don't want to have to make a move, but they want to give this core that's been around here for a long time with guys that are close to 30, if not at 30, guys like Giroux, that they want to give them every chance to win. So, you know, in the real short term, the fact that they're on their fifth goalie and Anthony Stolarz is in net and Alex Lyon has been playing a lot and Cal Pickard has been playing a lot, Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth can't stay healthy. They need some kind of NHL-worthy goaltending that can they can hang their hat on at least for a few weeks until they can get a Brian Elliott finally comfortable and healthy. I don't think there's any hope that you can really get that from Michael Neuverth in the long term. So that's like priority number one, two, and three. He'd really like to have a new GM in place to come in and do it, and I really don't think it'll take that long. You know, I'd be shocked if in 10 days we don't hear of a Flyers having a GM hired. But, you know, I don't think he's the type of person and, and he's not, I don't think he's willing or interested, in fact, in even being the guy that's sitting in that chair again. So there's no power play on his part to get Ron Hextall out, which is what some people were thinking, and to have him calling the shots again. That's not the case at all. That's a misread of the situation. He, he wants to put this team in the here and now on the right track. And wow, 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 you know, the Golden Knights won the West having played 75 different goaltenders when Flurry was out. So don't want to even hear that. That still remains the most underrated part of last season. Like the right? fact that they went through all that string of all the goalies and they kept winning. They didn't, they didn't hit any speed bumps at all. Yeah. I saw who is it? Maxim Legacy was it? I saw against the Islanders where he got, he just got lit up for like a hundred goals. And yet this team like was fine with him for a two week stretch. It was insane. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask you about this next Flyers GM that I find interesting is if it is in fact that ownership has decided that they are changing course, that it is no longer being patient. It is starting to deal off some of these assets for veteran players. Wouldn't that indicate that maybe you go for somebody that's been in the chair before, that you go for a Chuck Fletcher, you go for a Ron Francis versus, um, you know, the, the, the guy you mentioned from the Sabres on the, in, on TSN today or any of the assistant guys? Like, does this not seem like more of a move for a, uh, someone with a bit more general manager experience versus someone that might be on the up and come? I, I would think so. Uh, but I don't think that necessarily excludes anyone that doesn't have the experience. They want someone that, as as CEO Dave Scott says, has a bias for action, which is kind of what I was hinting at earlier. Like They're not looking for anyone to come in and blow things up and trade away all their prospects. 
to take a run this year. They just think that there's a happy medium that exists between that way, which the Flyers always used to do, and doing nothing, which is basically what Hextall had done, only making one trade to improve this team in the here and now. So, um, you know, I certainly think, you know, that they want to see some change right off the bat. Um, an exact quote that stood out to me was, they're real interested in the February 25th trade deadline, right. and they don't want to be sitting it out. So the yeah. fact that, you know, they're saying that already, you know, a couple months before the deadline rolls around gives you a pretty good indication that this team's going to be a player moving forward and that they think that they can be better than they have been. All right, Frank, I'm going to switch gears because I'm looking forward to next week and I'm hoping you will be there too, that we can all reunite in Sea Island, Georgia, where the Board of Governors will be meeting. And the big item on the agenda, of course, is Seattle. And this is when it can be approved by the owners. But I'm just curious. I mean, the Seattle group already presented um, to select group of the uh, leadership committee of owners. I can't even think of the name right now. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving exactly. brain dead. Too much turkey. I got the leftover turkey that Greg didn't get. <laughs> But, uh, you know, one of the big questions that we, I think everybody has is, is it going to be that 2021 season, uh, one season later, it's a building. What are the owners going to discuss before they approve on what is seems to be the inevitable that they're going to add a 32nd team in Seattle? It's a good question. I don't know how much discussion is really going to be done. This, to me, is a rubber stamp. Um, you know, the date is really the only question mark that remains. And I would say, given the fact that they can kind of couch it behind, well, we don't know if the arena is going to be ready by 2020. That, you know, I don't know that the, I, my thought is that, Emily, they won't give a date. They'll just say, we're accepting Seattle mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then say, we'll approach the date later on. They, I think every side would love to have a team on the ice in 2020. And the sooner you can get dollars flowing into the league, get those payments in. Um, etc. Like that's what everyone wants to see. How how soon do you think the the machinery starts moving for Seattle once this gets approved? Insofar as team name, team colors, general manager, all that jive. You think it's going to happen pretty quickly, or do you think it's going to be you know a year off or something like that? Probably pretty methodical. I mean, these things take a lot of time. I'm sure they've been designing logos and names already. Uh, I think they have a pretty good idea of who they'd like to target for a GM given that Dave Tippett is going to remain in some sort of upper management role, it seems, uh, that he's obviously not interested in the coaching part of it. He could be the president of hockey ops making the call on who the GM is. So then you can start to kind of work off of that list of who Dave Tippett Tippett is connected with um, and who has experience doing this. Obviously, a lot of people look towards Vegas and Kelly McCrimmon and the integral part that he played um, in his job, kind of helping build the Golden Knights. But there's lots of people out there that I think would be really intrigued to just have a fresh start. Um, you know, that's the one part that's so attractive. It's, you know, putting an expansion team on the ice is hard and it's a lot of work. But the idea of having a fresh slate cap-wise and to accumulate players that you want instead of guys that you're stuck with and you have to do damage control in another job and then get rid of, much in the same way that Ron Hextall actually worked his way through for two or three or four years um that's that's what makes it so interesting and attractive i would imagine that you know that part is probably if we're looking at 2020 they probably have someone in place um early to mid 2019 uh in terms of a gm and and the name probably a year out from whenever the expansion draft is 
Mm, All right, Frank. Well, before we let you go, you were in the room with me when I asked a bunch of NHL players what the Seattle name should be. And as you texted <laughs> me later, I left out the best uh, submission, which is a uh, exclusive for our ESPN uh, on ice listeners. That was um, Buffalo Sabres center Jack Eichel, who suggested they should be the Seattle Shockers. So uh, before you sign off here, <laughs> I would like to know what is your ideal name for the Seattle team and maybe a color scheme. I have no idea. I just love that you left it out because after that I texted you. I was like, I was listening to the tape over again and, and Jack's like, yeah, Seattle Shockers. And you were like, no, oh. And then like, like no one really knew what to do. And like, I was just like, man, that's really awkward. I did, a, <laughs> I did Jack a solid there and now I'm throwing him another bus for uh, putting it out here now. Yeah. But you Perfect. know, it's, it's podcast shade. If it was written shade, people would take it a lot more seriously. Yeah, no Sabre fans are listening to this. It's not like we have their leading scorer on or anything. Right. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you see, if you see, if you do see Jack, uh, Sabres fans listening to the podcast, you might want to, you know, clue him in on, on that. All right. Thank you so much, Frank. Where can people find your stuff? TSN.ca, all the usual places, twitter.com. Man, what would life look like without Twitter? Uh, for me, a lot less therapy. Uh, thank you so much, Frank. We'll uh, speak to you soon, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care. Frank Saravelli right there, joining us to talk about the ins and outs. He's, a, he's an insider. I don't know if you guys knew that. He's it's a on the capital I insider in my capital book. Capital I insider. I love that guy. He's one of my favorite people I've met in hockey. You know, I like to discover uh, Frank when I first covered the NHL, and I really got to follow his work. But another thing about Discover, it's the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover... <laughs> You can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding their all-new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year, automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. Never. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe, you know, you can buy some headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. Mm-hmm. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. It's only for new card members, and limitations do apply. They do. They absolutely do. You know who has no limitations so far? The Buffalo Sabres. And we're going to talk to Jeff Skinner in a second. But first, we did some quarter mark, because Tim Cavanaugh, our editor, like, gets really violent about us calling it quarter pole because it's not really a quarter pole quarter mark look at the nhl on espn.com and you know the sabers <laughs> were projected uh before the season emily to have 80.5 points the over under that was the over under for them uh their current points pace is 116 points which to me is a mild improvement um again my 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 concern with them remains the fact that it is a one-line show right now, you know, whatever line involves both Skinner and Jack Eichel, whether it's Jason Palm and Villan or not. Uh, so it does concern me that two players that have a bit of an injury history are the inherent drivers, engines, if you will, for that team. But the the good thing about the Sabres is that their underlying numbers indicate that this might not be funky fluky. Like, this might be what we can expect from them. And uh, and do you believe at this point, being that they are in a playoff position at Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, uh, typically, you know, 80% of the teams that are make the playoffs, are the Sabres a playoff team? 
I think they are, and I think they're benefiting from a team like the Bruins dealing with injury issues unknown to man. That is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I think they're peaking, you know, not at the right time. I think there's still better hockey they can have, and goaltending's held up. So they've been one of the biggest surprises. I also look at the Metropolitan Division, and it just almost felt like every single team's preseason standings point projection was opposite from where they are in a current standings point pace. Like the New York Rangers only still have 95, 75 wins. They're on pace for 92 the Flyers are supposed to have 97, wow, God, 97.5. <laughs> I really ate a lot of turkey. Uh, they're currently in standing points for 78. Uh, the biggest disappointment, though, and it has to be these Pittsburgh Penguins for me, and there are issues all down the lineup, but the biggest issue, I cannot get over it, is in goal. What is going on with Matt Murray? He's on injury reserve yet again. There's hints this could be long-term, and this is a super tense time for the franchise. Jim Rutherford is very impatient, and they've got to go with Casey DeSmith in goal. Yeah, well, that's the dance they've been doing for the last two years now. I mean, I said that, I remember talking to Mike Sullivan about that last year about playing without a net behind uh, uh, Matt Murray, and they said they had the utmost confidence in the other goaltenders, so they, they've clearly made this bed. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the Metropolitan right now is the fact that you have the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes both kind of lingering right around the wild card bubble, uh, right around the third place spot in the Eastern Conference, uh, in the Metro Division. And in, in the case of the Islanders, I think that they've definitely punched above their weight. In the case of the Carolina Hurricanes, though, once again, we are waiting for this team to actualize. Um, the goaltending has not been good, an 894 save percentage overall for, for the team. But what's really stunning about Carolina is that 6.8 is the shooting percentage right now. They're the only team under 7 in shooting percentage right now in the NHL, 31st overall. So for all the fireworks that we saw early in this season from Sebastian Ajo and some other players – team ain't really clicking offensively yet either. So you got two parts of this team that are not going all that well, and yet still they find themselves very much in the thick of the playoff race. So for those of you who thought that the Hurricanes might make the leap this year, I think that there's reason to believe that still could be the case. All right, we'll end this on this, Greg. I'm going to ask you, what team do you absolutely love right now that you didn't love in the beginning of the season? I don't want to say Calgary um, because I don't trust their goaltending, and also I want to be right about Bill Peters being a bad coach, so I needed them to not make the playoffs. Um, I'll, I'll say who is showing me some resiliency, though, are, is Vegas. And, mm. and I know that everybody was ready to write the obit for the Golden Knights this season. Um, you know, clearly the magic isn't there. The lightning is not in the bottle for a second straight year. We knew that was going to happen. But for them to be in a playoff position right now, and, and granted, some teams behind them have games in hand, for them to be in a playoff position right now with having lost Paul Stasny, their prized free agent acquisition, their number two center, uh, for the majority of this season so far. For them to have not had Nate Schmidt, arguably their most important defenseman for the first 20 games of this season, you know, to still have maintained that despite all of this, I think is pretty impressive. They may not necessarily win the Pacific, which I think is what I predicted, but I think that they're going to hang in there, and I still believe that this is going to be a playoff team at the end of the day. All right, and for me, it's the Colorado Avalanche. I thought they were a one-hit wonder last year. Uh, I mean, I didn't believe in Jared Bednar as much as I should. Now I am all in. And I think it's because this spectacular top line of Nathan McKinnon, Mika Rontanen, and Gabriel Landeskog proves they're not going away. Rontanen has been absolutely terrific. 
But last year, that line specifically just willed them into the playoffs. Now they've got secondary scoring. Alexander Kerfoot is stepping up. JT Comfer, who missed some time with head injury, he's putting up some points. The platoon situation of Varlamov and Grubauer is going just as well as expected. They have 3.7 goals per game. The goals are coming. They've been a bit lucky. They actually have the elite's highest shooting percentage, but uh, they've proved a lot to me, and I like the way the defensemen rounded out. There you go. And now joining us, a guy who is helping to lead the renaissance in Buffalo, he's Jeff Skinner of the Sabres. All right, joining us now on the line, star player for the Buffalo Sabres, Jeff Skinner. Every time I either talk to you or cover you, I feel really old because I remember you being teenage rock star, all-star game guy back in 2011, Carolina. <laughs> it was quite an experience. What was that like? Yeah, so- so a while ago now, I guess I'm getting older too now. So um, that was cool. I think uh, obviously coming in the league and uh, being my first year, I think was uh, was pretty cool. And um, to 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 be at that game in, in the first place, and then the fact that it was sort of it was in Raleigh at your home rink was uh, was a pretty uh, pretty cool experience. The whole weekend was was pretty fun. What did it do for you as far as your development as a player or, or even just trying to wrap your head around being in the NHL when you're that young and have that much success straight away? A lot of it's sort of, I think, you you get you get put in a position where you get pretty given a pretty good opportunity. For me, I got to play with some good players. and uh, I know that's not always the case. Sometimes you come in and um, just – Based on the team you're drafted to, there's 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 maybe your position full, filled, or um, there's sort of there's not room for you right right at that moment. For me, I think it, it was kind of a perfect storm where there's a, there's a there's an opportunity to play, and then I get to play with some pretty good players, and um, and anytime I think, especially as a young guy, you get to play with good players and, and older vet, veteran players that have been around. I think. It, it's definitely going to help your development. So I, I definitely learned a lot that, that that first year. Did it? Did it? Was there any point where you're like, "Oh, this is going to be easy"? When <laughs> you're in the NHL and have that win the Calder and have that much success? Uh no, 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 not really. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think you just, it just sort of, you just sort of realize kind of a lot of things sort of have to go right to to sort of have a good good uh, good season like that and. For me, I was fortunate to um, most of those things uh, went sort of in my favor. Right. And as you mentioned, Carolina drafts you. They're the only franchise that you play for until last summer. What what kind of shock to the system is it um, to have to kind of uproot your life and, and relocate to a new city and find a place to live and all that sort of thing for the first time in your career? Yeah, it's a little bit of an adjustment, I think. Uh, fortunately for me, it's just me and I, I'm not – uh, I don't have to sort of worry about a family or, or having to move kids and change schools. So, um, in that sense, it's, it's it's a little bit easier for me, I think, than, than I think some guys that have to go through it. But uh, definitely a little bit of, a, of an adjustment. I think just coming to it. I was in Carolina so long. I I, uh, I had a lot of great friends in the organization, and then to come to a new new organization and, and sort of. Um, sort of not, not know many teammates and, and uh, sort of uh, get to know new staff and those kinds of things are a little bit of adjustment. But for me, fortunately, it's gone it's gone pretty smoothly so far. Everyone's been really welcoming and, and sort of made me feel really comfortable. So you come to this team, 
and, and you know, there's the team that's sort of been rebuilding. I actually have called it like a rebuild inside of a rebuild because they were rebuilding and then they fired a guy and they bought in someone else. And now they're rebuilding even more. And so you come into this team and uh, I'm sure when you walk through that door the first day of training camp, you looked around and said, yeah, this is totally going to be a team on a 116 point pace at the end of November, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think I think you come into the, the every season and and there's uh there's a, there's optimism and, and excitement i think every team obviously is starting off on the, on the same with the same record and and i think you've seen in recent years in particular where teams have, have sort of turned around from from the year before or, or made a big push uh from say mid-season until the end of the season and um i think for me coming in i think for most of the organization people thought that there's some Real good young players that um, the, the 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 young core with the guys uh, um, they have already with with also Darlene coming in mm-hmm. um, and then they made a I think a, a few personnel changes sort of over the summer through trades and stuff. There was a there's a big big I think uh, sense of excitement around the team to to sort of get off to that fresh start that that every team has I think and. Um, and then you just try and focus on keep getting better. I think training camp, you try and prepare for the season. And then during the season, you, you keep trying to improve. And um, fortunately, we've been on a nice little run. We want to try and uh, try and keep it going as, as, as long as we can. Yeah, for sure. And, and obviously, when you talk about that young core, you're talking in particular probably about also Jack Eichel. Uh, the line with you and, and Jack and Pollenville has been insanely good this year. Uh, what is it about your game that fits in particular well with what Jack does, and, and maybe also well within what the line does as a whole? Oh, I think for for me, he's he's one of the best centermen in the league. So as a winger, I think um, that helps. I think to to start with, and then I think when you when you try and sort of um, when you look at his game, he, he's he's really really good with the puck, and thought, so I think for me as a winger. Um, he creates a lot of space and 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 he draws a lot of uh, a lot of players to him because he can handle the puck so well at speed and he can handle the, the puck so well in traffic that um, sometimes he's drawing one or, or two, sometimes three guys to him, and and that opens up a lot of space. So I think as a as a winger, you try and read off him, and then you try and sort of utilize that extra space out there and and uh, and just be ready for for when. Uh, when he's going to make a pass, because sometimes, sometimes you don't think he's ready to make it, and then all of a sudden it's on your stick. So, um, <laughs> I think just reading off him and, and just staying ready, I think is my 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 pointers to myself, I guess. For sure, yeah. I mean, he he is somebody who can make something out of nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. He can. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's really good with the puck, and those guys, I think, it's, they're they're tough to defend because you got to try and take it off them, and also worry about sort of the other four guys that he could he could find out there now you're a, a humble canadian kid uh jack isn't uh how do you get along with him <laughs> he's good i like him yeah i uh sit beside him in a locker room and um i think that uh we'll see it's it's only been a couple months but when you see someone every day i think he's sort of accelerate the getting a note you process and uh yeah it's been fun i think and I think think we got a good mix of sort of young guys and 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 old guys in our locker room, and um, 
sort of is a good good sort of mesh with everyone, and uh, yeah, it's been fun. You 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 mentioned that the the mix between young guys and old guys. You're 26 now. What do you, what are you? What do you what do you what do you consider yourself to be now? Um, <laughs> I mean, see the the, the young guys. I I'm probably an old guy now, which is, <laughs> which is sad. But uh, when I see like Rasmus Dahlin and Casey Middlestad sort of wheeling around out there, and then uh, then I I feel pretty old, I guess. But uh, hopefully, I can stick out maybe in the in the middle years for a little bit more because we've got Jason Paulville, who's to me he's an old guy. So <laughs> just stick close to him, and make a, make myself feel younger. You gotta grow a beard now. Like that's the way you differentiate between the old guys and the young guys. Is you gotta grow your full, full bushy beard, which I know you can tell. Yeah, that, do, yeah. Right, Jeff? <laughs> that might take me a while, actually. <laughs> so maybe that, there's hope for me, I guess. Hey, Phil Housley called you a slippery guy offensively. Is that a good term to use? You think to describe your game, or how would you describe your game offensively to be able to score this many goals? Yeah, maybe. I, I think for me, I think. Um, I don't have the the hardest shot, or uh, I'm not going to sort of blow guys, but blow by guys wide with with sort of high end speed. So for me, I think to to generate offense and to be productive, I have to sort of uh, I don't know. I think just sort of find sort of openings to create the, that time and space where uh, um, where I have to sort of work between between a check or um, I don't know. I think uh, try and find sort of rebounds and those kinds of sort of greasy goals. I guess that maybe greasy I get goals. maybe I get more more than some guys. Which uh, I don't know if it's a compliment, but if it goes in, I'll take it. So uh, hey, listen, Dave, Dave Andrew Chuck's a Hall of Famer, my friend. So there's no no, no <laughs> shame. However you score him, baby, is how you score him. A uh, yeah. couple more, couple more for you. Uh, being that Terry Pagula now signs your checks, do you have to then become a Buffalo Bills fan? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's the reason. I think if you live in Buffalo, though, you don't have much choice. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, pretty mandatory that you you get on the you get on the Bills uh, the Bills train. I think it's uh, it's pretty fun. I think I went I went to the game on on um, last Sunday or this yesterday, and uh, it was uh, it's a pretty good atmosphere. <laughs> It's a, it's an incredible atmosphere. And again, the game on Sunday, you know, everybody's always, you know, talking down about the NHL and fighting. Nobody fights in the NHL anymore. There's a fight in the football game. Why don't they go after the NFL now for fighting? Yeah, they went after it, those guys. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, the, the, I think the excitement in the crowd spilled over onto the field there and <laughs> those two guys just got into it. All right, finally, and thank you for your time. I know that you are now a Buffalo Saber. You are no longer Carolina Hurricane. Is there any part of you that's a little bit jealous of not having had a chance to take part in the victory celebrations in Raleigh this year? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, as long as I didn't hurt myself, I think sometimes they <laughs> when they see they they got some coordinating coordination things in there. I, I'm afraid I'd, I'd hurt myself doing one of those. But uh, yeah, the, the full on skate, fun. yeah, the full on skate leaping into the glass part of it makes me a little bit nervous. <laughs> But, yeah, as long as you don't get too fired up after a win, I think sometimes, sometimes you get fired up after a win and, and go overboard. But they look like they're having fun with it. I think that obviously their fans are enjoying it. So, cool. um, yeah, as long as I'm not not in there getting hurt, and <laughs> I'd be fine. Exactly. All right, 
thank you, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the, su- the success so far this season, and hopefully it continues with the Buffalo Sabres. Thank you. All right, our thanks to Jeff Skinner and the Sabres for that chat. Now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. Satch got your number. Which Shachin Shandon gives us a bit of hockey trivia in the form of a digit. And Emily and I have to guess what the hell it all means. Hey, Greg and Emily, I'm back with another round of Satch Got Your Number for you. Since 1999, this player leads all Flyers goalies in wins with 104. All right, so Satch Got Your Number, 104 wins. Okay, I think I know it. You think you know it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if this was from 1999 to 2024, and we can predict somebody's comeback, I would pick Ilya Brzezgalov. But since it's not, I'm going with Steve Mason. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I am going to go with... Oof, that's a real tough one. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, Mason's a good pick. Um, I am right. All right, you go with Mason. I'm going to go with Brian Boucher. Mm-hmm. That was good, too. That might be it. Steve Mason had 104 <gasps> wins with the Flyers. He's only the third Philadelphia netminder to reach the century mark, and he has the most wins for the franchise since Ron Hextall, who retired in 1999 with 240. All right. Well, congratulations to, to Emily. And congratulations wait. to both of us for proving, without a shadow of a doubt, that we don't research the answer before the show. <laughs> At least I think so. I don't know. I have my suspicions now. But you I got that show right. I'm showing you my screen right now. All right. You don't know. You don't have to show me your screen. I trust you. This is the buddy system. You're my buddy. Um. All right. Well, listen. If you want to correspond with your buddy this holiday season, oh. there's only one way to do it, and that's with stamps.com. You know what? The holidays are upon us, which means that you need to start sending out them presents to all your relatives and friends spread across this great nation of ours and also Canada. And that's why you need Stamps.com. It brings all the services of the U.S. Post Office right to your desktop. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Then the mail carrier picks it up. No trips to the post office required. It couldn't be any easier. Print postage any day, any time. Stamps.com is always open. It not only saves you time, but it saves you money. It helps you print the right amount of postage every time. No need to ever stick more stamps on there than you need to. And with Stamps.com, you get discounts on postage even if you can't get to the post office. I use it to send out prizes to people for contests, big packages to relatives that don't live anywhere near me. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top, because this is a podcast, and then type in the word ICE, as in ESPN on ICE. That's stamps.com. Click the microphone and type in ICE to get this special four-week trial. Thanks to stamps.com for being a sponsor. And thanks to the Canadian media for continuing to feed this next segment of the show. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's time for Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs, uh, and this week we focus on Mitch Marner, one of my favorite players, because the love and adulation placed upon him will eventually drive Austin Matthews out of Canada into an American market. But you know what? 
the thing we're going to talk about this week with Mitch Marner is the fact that, boy, is he good, and boy, is he ever going to get paid, and some people believe he should be paid a lot of money, and that he's really, really good. Ken Campbell, the hockey news, wonders if Mitch Marner could potentially be worth more than $12 million per season, or roughly double what Willie Nylander is probably worth. Meanwhile, Sportsnet's Greg Brady said that as a fourth overall pick, Mitch Marner is, well, probably a future Hall of Famer. Quote, you're not supposed to get a player this good at number four. Once every 10 or 12 years, you get a player that's 85% as good as Mitch Marner, said Brady on Sportsnet. Uh, and in fact, he said that only four forwards taken at number four are better than Marner in uh, NHL history since like 1980. Uh, and there was the rest of this discussion here on, on Sportsnet. I got four forwards since, since basically the draft became what it became that are, that I even think Mitch Marner, there's no question he'll approach. I don't, I, surpassing's a big ask. And they're all in the Hall of Fame. Steve, I, well, they're, I think Nick Backstrom's gonna be. Steve Eisman, Ron Francis, Paul Correa, Nick Backstrom. That's all I got. And it's a weird thing to sit here and say 21 year old Mitch Marner is, is projecting as a hockey Hall of Famer. But how the hell would we argue otherwise if he plays like this for 10 years? He's got 27 assists. He's one behind the league lead, and the next guy behind him is four away. And there are assists, and then there are assists. He is far and away the National Hockey League leader in primary assists, which means he's Mm -hmm. the guy that sets up the play. He's the guy that sets up the play. You know, if Rick Nash in 2003-2004 is a 19-year-old, if he scored 41 goals every year after that year in which he scored 41, Emily... I, I'm pretty sure he would top Gretzky's record. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because we can always project these things when players are that young and that good. <laughs> I think it's time for puck headlines. Yeah, I'm not saying Marner's not a good player. I'm just saying the Toronto media gonna be the Toronto media when it comes to things like this. I'm just saying. I love the kid. I think he's great. Come on. Do we have to do this to every guy? Yeah. All right. Now it's time for puck headlines. Dateline Chicago. Uh, as mentioned by Emily Kaplan earlier in the show, the Blackhawks traded Nick Schmaltz to the Arizona Coyotes for Dylan Strom and Brendan Perlini. Now, you gave this a big win to Chicago in your uh, trade grade for this deal, I believe, correct? Yeah, I think it's a shame. I think Nick Schmaltz is totally underrated for his defensive game. He's like a pick part, a pocket artist. He developed some great chemistry with Patrick Kane, but he's due for a new contract this year. And I think Stan Bowman looks at it. It's like, look, we're going to have to make a very emotional decision about Nick Schmaltz. He's a guy we drafted. We're taking in two guys. They probably have higher upside, you know, just as high upside. I'll say that with Dylan Strom and Brandon Perlini. And, um, you know, if we hit on them, great. If not, it's going to be very unemotional just to say goodbye. So in that case, I think it's a win. It's starting to take some contracts off the books for the next couple years that uh you know it's going to be really difficult to get the bigger guys off yeah and i feel like the other thing too is that you know you're gambling that strom can become the player that people believe he could be even though he may not necessarily have the speed commiserate with the hype that uh, he had entering the league um so it's a decent gamble it's a it's a better move for stan bowman than the constant talent drain that we've seen over the years now he's actually trying to bring in more talent which is always a good thing uh dateline montreal sad news for a guy that i really mm-hmm. dig um carl alsner uh was uh, placed on waivers by the montreal Canadiens this week 30 year old has one assist in eight games this season has been a healthy scratch throughout the year he had a goal in 11 points in 82 games in montreal last season after signing a five-year 23.125 million dollar deal in the off season. Uh, obviously left the Capitals one year before they win the Cup, which is one kick in the uh, you-know-whats, and then gets uh, put on waivers here. He's got three seasons left uh, after this one. 
uh, and uh, makes a, a you know not a ton of money, but enough money. But a guy who has been through the injury ringer and, and may not necessarily be the same player he was a couple of years ago. I say the Caps should give him a ring. Yes, there you go. They get Barry Trotz and everybody on the Islanders a ring to put him into their locker room this week to do it. Give him a ring. Give him a sympathy ring. He helped build this thing over the years, or at yeah. least you know suffered through it. There you go. What a, what a, what a beautiful beautiful person you are to suggest that for Carl Halsner. Why thank you. Um, Dateline Gritty. Mm-hmm. Gritty Detour. has given two recent interviews to Sports Illustrated, our friend Charlotte Walder, and also to Time Magazine. And the latter included this exchange. Time Magazine. Given that it's 2018, it's only natural that one side of America's great political divide has claimed you as their own. People who protest the president have held pictures of you at rallies. The New Yorker wrote a story headlined, How the Left Won the War for Gritty, the new mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. Are you comfortable that you, as a hockey mascot, have been politicized? Why or why not? Said Gritty. You want to talk about comfortable? Have you ever slipped into a Snuggie? Wait, was that really the answer? And that, friends, is why Gritty is a mascot of the people. Oh, my God. (laughs) I did not read that interview, but now I think I have to read the entire thing. I think you have to. Dateline the mouth. Antoine Roussel was fined $5,000, the maximum allowed under the collective bargaining agreement, for chomping on the hand of Mark Edward Vlasic. Obviously just wanted a bite of the pickle. Rare is the punishment for the NHL for biting, but they dinged him here. Are you surprised it was just a fine? Should we suspend people for biting? I mean, isn't it like, you know, for all the talk about, like, Brian Burke, like, ah, these celebrations are bad for the league. Like, guys going around and chomping on people, to me, is a ten times worse than anything the Carolina Hurricanes do to celebrate a goal celebration. That's true, and I also say it's good publicity. Spin zone. Google Antoine Roussel, you get ten million hits. Nine million of them have the same exact headline, man, man bite shark. Man by shark. I, I don't believe that way, by the way. I just feel like I need to clarify. Finally, Dateline A Star is Born. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga won National Board of Review acting prizes, but Green Book won Best Picture. Emily Kaplan, what does this portend for the Oscars? Will Star is Born get over the finish line and win the Oscar for Best Picture or not? Longtime listener of the show will remember Emily Kaplan, anti Star is Born. Still haven't seen it. I don't care. <laughs> Tell me something good. All right, now it's time for the rant line. Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. The thing that's been driving me crazy right now is the way that people talk about empty net goals, and I just really don't understand why people discount them. Obviously, it's much easier to score on an empty net than if you've got, you know, John Gibson or Freddie Anderson in there, but you still have to steal the puck when you're a man short from the other team. You have to have enough skill to control it when you're under a ton of pressure, uh, you're probably taking the shot from at least center ice, if not further. Uh, and there's just a few of the things that you have control over, I think. Greg, I have a genius idea. Yes. All right. An overtime win gets you a point if you lose it, and then two points if you win. Mm-hmm. What if an empty net goal gives you a .5 goal on your score sheet? <laughs> why? Tell me so, why like, it doesn't count as much as a real goal? Yeah, it, it is know, difficult, as our listener said. It is, it is, but it's not as difficult. I you give it you some know, credit, but not the total credit. It's funny. I used to kind of feel your feel on empty net goals, but then when I was covering the Capitals more, when I was living in DC, you know, there was all this criticism of Alex Ovechkin and and all the empty net goals that he was amassing during his career. And, you know, oh, you know, he's always got so many internet goals. They shouldn't even count as much as real goals. I'm like, and, and, and the, co- the, the counter argument from the Capitals was always, look, 
He's out there not to cherry pick. He's out there as a on a defensive assignment. And isn't it just as important that goal as any other goal when you consider that if you score it, it is a dagger through the heart of the opponent. You are effectively ending the game. You are scoring the definitive goal. No, there's not a goalie trying to block it. But what you are doing is essentially closing the book and saying game over, my friends. And isn't it valuable to have a player that can do that? And it turned me around a little bit on the value of empty net goals. Okay. There you go. And now you're sold. Exactly. I was a street preacher right there, and I've convinced you of my of my philosophies. That's all it took. That's right. All right. Thanks to Jeff Skinner. Thanks to Frank Saravelli. Thanks to Ryan, our producer, for making this sound good. And uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. You can find me at Wyshynski on Twitter. Thanks to all of you, too, for listening. And I'm Emily M. Kaplan, and that's where you can find me on Twitter. And you can find all of our stuff on ESPN.com, where we write a lot. Indeed. And also, you can listen to me on two, two, two episodes of Doug Loves Movies, because I was part of the 12 guests of Christmas here in New York. Uh, no, I don't want to spoil anything, but you do have to kind of win the first night to make it to the second night. Wink, wink, nudge. And uh, it was an honor to be on that show again with some really lovely people. Anyway, listen. that's that the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.